Welcome to the Beltway Broadcast, the premier podcast for the workplace learning and talent development professionals of the Association for Talent Development's Metro DC chapter. We've got some great resources in store for you today. Hello, fellow ATDers. I'm Stephanie Hupka, a chapter past president and a member of the Pod Squad here at the Metro DC chapter of ATD. And I'm Leticia Niago, the 2022 president-elect. Hi, everyone. I'm Christina Eanes, the vice president of marketing and communications. We also have Helena Hodges, vice president of finance and operations, as our producer. For this episode, we are interviewing the managing director of Lizard Brain, a certified professional facilitator who specializes in visual methods in virtual meetings, and the author of the number one Amazon bestseller, Surviving the Horror of Online Meetings, Brian Tarallo. Welcome, Brian. Thanks a lot, Stephanie. It's great to be here with you. Thanks for having well, we- me. We are thrilled that you're here. This is one of those topics where I feel like everybody leans in just a little bit more because for the last couple of years, we have suffered through some very interesting virtual meetings. So before we get into our topic, you can tell I'm excited. We are talking today about surviving the horrors of online meetings. We would love it if you would tell us a little bit more about you. Sure, sure. So uh, as you said, I'm a certified professional facilitator. Um, My background was actually in finance, but from there I got into strategic planning. From strategic planning, I got into group work because it's really difficult to write a strategic plan if you're not bringing all of the voices into the room. Um, And I I fell in love with what's called uh, graphic facilitation. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but we go in, Mm -hmm. we take a very big piece of paper, uh, we hang it on the wall, and we use visuals in order to facilitate a group through a process. Um, The challenge is, is that it's very material intensive. And so I was looking for a way to do what we do using uh, visuals in a virtual context so that it doesn't take an hour and a ream of paper uh, to to do, for example, a strategic planning process in the room. So I've been doing uh, virtual facilitation since around 2014. And, uh, you know, for some reason, just in the last couple of years, it's gotten very popular. I have no idea why. I would wonder that myself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fantastic. I love the variety that you have in your background. It gets me thinking you're going to have a lot of really interesting tips and ideas to share with all of us. And so Let's dive in because, like I said, I feel like a lot of us, especially over the last few years, have experienced the range of what it means to have virtual meetings. We've seen the good, the bad, and lots and lots of the ugly. So I would love to know what are some of the characteristics of an online meeting where you might start to figure it could use a little bit of, shall we say, professional help? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. The more that you think about it, the things that you don't like about virtual meetings, um, it, it's not so much that the fact that it's virtual. Uh, if if you really boil down to it, so let, let's take a look at some of the things that are uh, uh, part of a meeting gone wrong. So people get distracted; they're not engaged. Some people dominate the conversation; uh, others don't participate. Uh, people can't connect with each other on a personal level, and that gets in the way of building trust and interpersonal connection. Um, Or people leave the meeting feeling drained or they don't know how to use the technology or people show up late. All of that stuff doesn't really have much to do do with the technology. It's really more about the people uh, that are involved with it. And so even though the technology tends to get a bad rap and people complain and they say, hey, can you hear me? Can you hear me? And they lean way into the camera. Uh, <laughs> you know, even though the technology tends to get the, the bad rap, I, I believe that 99% of the stuff 
that drives us crazy about online meetings and trainings can be solved using um, really human behaviors, things like ground rules, things like intentionally building in inclusion and space for cognitive diversity, um, things like energizers to build trust with people. Um, so, you know, back to your question, I think that the things that we run afoul of in online meetings are, in fact, it's the same things that we run afoul of in in person meetings. It's just that they show up a lot more brightly uh, when you're when they're on the screen in front of you. I love that you mentioned that because we get so focused on the tech, you know, like you said, that we forget there's people involved. <laughs> so, what are some tips or examples of strategies we can use to make these online meetings more energetic and engaging? Yeah, I think that it, it boils down to what I call the trust equation. Um, first of all, why is trust important in a meeting? Um, I think that it's really all about trust uh, because if you don't have trust in the room, people are not going to be sharing their best ideas. And by the way, I need to clarify, when I say meeting, what I'm talking about here is a decision-making process. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not necessarily talking about the sage on the stage or uh, a meeting, quote-unquote meeting, where you have one person reading a PowerPoint deck. I, I don't think that that's a meeting. That's a presentation. Yeah. Um, I think that if you're going to hold a meeting that you save group time for group work, where you can hear competing ideas, where people can voice dissension, um, and so that you, you get the whole picture of what's happening, that everybody be able to share their perspective. Well, if you don't have trust in the room, people are going to hold back on sharing their perspectives, and there's no way you're going to get the whole picture of what's going on. And I think that there's really two ways to get to trust, and you need both of them. One of them is the agreements. Uh, some people call this ground rules. I have the reaction. Somebody tells me that there's a rule. I want to figure out how I can bend it, break it, get around it. So I, I prefer <laughs> so to call relate. it agreements. Yeah. Uh -huh. So it's the agreements, which is it's really the thing that that creates the social container. These are the things that are acceptable and not acceptable to do in the meetings. Here is how you can show up as your best self. And those are the agreements. Um, things like, for example, keep your webcam on if your background and bandwidth allow. Yeah. Um, as human beings, we're... It's hard-coded into the way that we perceive uh, information and communicate with each other to actually see each other. And so if you can't see each other, um, you find yourself at a disadvantage. Um, Albert Morabian, who's a professor emeritus at UCLA, did a study where he found that a full 55% of the meaning that we take from communication comes from facial expressions and body language. And if people have their webcams off, you're introducing um, a lot of error into that. And so that's an example of one agreement that might be there. Keep, a, keep your webcams on if your background and bandwidth allow. The other side of the trust equation, the second part of it, I think, is the experience. Um, and when I'm talking about the experience, that is the mood, the atmospherics, uh, everything that your participants feel from the very start of the meeting to the very end of the meeting. Um, for our really high-end meetings, let's say that we were going to have, I don't know, a, a leadership development offsite where we were going to get the top leaders of an organization um, out into the country somewhere. We're going to do a, an offsite. It's going to be three days. Um, hopefully, we would be planning every single one of those three days with intentionality. Uh, what's going to be the first thing that they experience when they come into the room? What's the... Uh, Maybe what's the music that's playing? Uh, what are we going to lay out for, uh, for meals? Um, what are the visuals that they're going to see? Uh, and so we would try to plan it to be a reinforcement of whatever the goal of that outcome is. So that's what I mean by the, the, the experience. In an online meeting, that, takes, that shows up 
as the first visual that people see. For example, it might be the first PowerPoint slide, or it might be the way that we're welcoming people in. So for example, if I need to do something that's very creative, let's say I'm doing a design thinking um, uh, 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 meeting. If I'm doing a design thinking meeting, um, I'm going to be pretty high energy and I'm going to turn my extroversion up. It's like, okay, welcome everybody. It's great <laughs> to see you here. Uh, we're going to get started in just a few minutes, but for right now, go ahead and you know type, a, type an outcome into chat. So I'm going to turn my extroversion up if it's something more creative because I need people yeah. leaning in. Um, if on the other hand, if I'm, if I'm doing something that's a little bit more serious, if I'm doing a mediation, a conflict intervention, if I'm doing some group coaching, then I'm going to be a little bit more subdued. So I'm going to just even match my mood uh, to reflect what I want to hear coming back from my participants. And all of that leads to the experience. Okay, so big picture, how do you do that? I think that the agreements plus the experience, that gets you to trust. And if you've got trust, then you have that container that the participants can fill with their ideas. And that leads to a productive meeting. I love that. So we often think of learner experience, right? When we're creating learning experiences, but this is essentially switching that and looking at the meeting experience and how can we create psychological safety Yeah, for the most part? Yeah. And I, I have to say this. So my framing is uh, coming from facilitation. I think that pretty much everything that I just said, you could apply to training as well. Absolutely. Um, when I use the word participant, you could use learner. When yeah. I say meaning, you could say training. Um, I think that these are uh, two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Facilitator energy is extremely important as well. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I noticed you were adjusting how you used your mic mm -hmm. to explore energy. Can you share a little bit how the tech does come into play here? Um, around energy. Yeah. So I think one of the things that's very important to keep in mind, getting back to that, uh, that research from uh, Dr. Marabian, is that we depend so much on body language, facial expressions, tone of voice. And it's important to remember that when we're in an online training environment, that our natural energy gets shrunk down to, if you're lucky, a two by three inch uh, rectangle that's on your screen. And so the webcam will tamp down on your natural energy. It will make you appear uh, smaller and less energetic than you naturally are. And unfortunately, uh, one of the, the big problems that we have with online training and facilitation um, is distraction. And distraction is just one click away. If you are any less interesting than your participants or your learners' emails, they're going to be into that email. And so this is what doesn't work. You can't get into an online training or an online facilitation and, and start like this. Um, okay, everyone. Uh, my name is Brian. I'm going to be working <laughs> with you for the next eight hours. We have two breaks. So <laughs> try I'm to stay engaged. I'm now shopping on yeah, Amazon. It's like you're done. It's like you want nothing <laughs> to do with like that. Every meeting I've been in, exactly. yes, that's exactly what's wrong with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, and, and what happens is, is that our, our participants, our, our learners, they reflect back the mood that we project at them. Now, I, I might not seem like this because uh, I, I, <laughs> I did my ritual. I will share my ritual. So when I, when I take the Myers-Briggs, I actually show up as a 30 on the introversion scale. That's as deep as it goes. So I, that doesn't work. I can't be my natural introverted self. Um, it's not about being inauthentic, but I do need to ratchet up the extroversion a little bit. Now, I think it's a really good idea for anybody who facilitates or trains online to have a bit of a ritual that they do. Um, this is mine. I will share it with you. <laughs> um, 
before every online meeting or every online training that I'm in front of the room, um, I read a little bit of poetry just to get me into the right headspace. So let me read you mine. Wow. The sun was not shining. It was too wet to play. So I sat in the house all that cold, cold, wet day. I sat there with Sally. We sat there, we too. And I said, how I wish we had something to do. And then something <laughs> with bump, how that bump made us jump. And we looked and we saw him step in on the mat. We looked and we saw him, the cat in the hat. <laughs> oh, I love that. <laughs> I do the same thing. I right, used so to tell me So what do you yes. do? Leticia, was that was that you? Leticia, was that uh, you? Chris. Chris. Okay. Yeah, I used I I used the, a book, uh, Seussisms, Doctor Seussisms. Do you Do you have any Seussisms. like ready to go that you could share? I do. Um, you know what? It's funny because I just used I taught a class today on presenting, and I just used that in the class on how to prepare your voice. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't have it with me. <laughs> Well, okay, so uh, let's let's go back and forth on this one. So I'll tell you the the reason that I do it is because I need to I need to overcorrect for my introversion. Again, I'm not trying to be yes. inauthentic. What I am uh-huh. trying to do yeah. is to ramp up my own natural energy so that when I actually come back to center, I'm a little bit further on the extroversion side. I can project a little bit more. Yes. I have more control over my tone of voice, my timbre. Your pace uh, and, and pitch. My pace and pitch. Yeah, and that's why I do of, it. Okay, perfect. Yeah. Well, tell me yeah. more, Chris. So how do, what, what else would you add to that? It actually helps me because I know, especially when we're in the virtual environment, we need to be a little more than we would in person, mm-hmm. right? So it helps me bring up that energy and that, um, uh, the energetic voice, if you will. Yeah. 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 I, I couldn't agree more. You know, speaking of voice, um, here's a couple of other things that I've learned. So one of the things that I do is I actually stand uh, when I'm training or facilitating. So I have a standing desk. I tried it out. You know, I saw that yep. TED talk. Mm-hmm. You do that. Do you have the same here. thing? Yes. Okay, so let, yes, let me just yes, ask. Yes. I wanna, I'd like to facilitate this a little bit. <laughs> so <laughs> please, I'll, by all means. What's the benefit of having a standing desk? Why do you like it? Well, your energy level is higher than when you're sitting, you can slouch, you can just get too comfortable in your chair. And so when you're up and you feel like you're, first of all, you project better in terms of your voice. Yeah, your rib is open, your ribs are open. yeah, Yeah, and your comfort level changes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So both of those. So on the one hand, you're standing, you have more energy. I don't know about you, but if I've been sitting all day, my energy is like drained. I'm done. Yes, but, sure. And it it seems weird, right? Because it's like, well, if you're standing all day, you should be tired. It's like, no, I've actually got more energy at the end of the day, right? It's about 5.30, you know, for us right now. Um, <laughs> yeah. So we should, by all accounts, I mean, I should be done. You know, I, I've been extroverting all day. I should be done. But, you know, just standing, it gives you that much more energy. And then, Chris, to your point, it, it opens up the ribs. It opens up the diaphragm. Yeah. Um, when was the last time you saw a church choir sitting? When they had to sing, exactly. They don't, yeah. Never. Exactly. It exactly. gives you more timbre. It gives you more control over your voice. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I'll throw this out too for anyone. I, I don't happen to have a standing desk yet, but one thing that I do to compensate for that is to build in a few minutes before I am facilitating something to walk around to do something active. And I find that that compensates a little bit for bringing some of that physical energy into the session that I'm going to be doing. So. For those of you out there thinking, well, I don't have a standing desk, you still don't have an excuse. There are still ways to infuse some of that energy into your work. Yeah. And I, I mean, you know, get a milk crate if you have to put your laptop on that, but just try it out. What's the worst mm-hmm. that could happen? You know, Stephanie, one of the things that you reminded me of, there's two other practices that I want to share um, in a line, in alignment with, uh, with walking around. Um, one of them is, this is something that I'm, I'm actually really excited to see happening with a lot of my clients. Um, 
The downside was is that the, the, the problem that this solves is that uh, I think a lot of companies defaulted to the 60-minute meeting where uh, they were doing meeting after meeting after meeting, and it was just Ugh. back to back to back to back. And people were spending eight hours a day in nothing but meetings and not able to get anything done. Um, something that I've seen a little bit more, more recently is a default to a 45-minute meeting. Um, I've noticed that nice. they're, you know, maybe starting at the top of the hour, but then they end 15 minutes beforehand so that people can, you know, take care of themselves. Stephanie, to your point, walk around a little bit. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm, I'm starting to see that more and more and I'm really excited about it. Uh, the other thing that I've seen is, um, walking meetings. Um, I've noticed that some of my clients will turn something that should be just a conversation into a walking meeting. And so what will happen is that they'll put their AirPods in and they'll hit the trails or they'll take a walk. And so they'll they'll have a discussion. You know, if no visuals are required, if they just need to have a conversation with each other, that they use it as an opportunity to get outside and get some miles in. Very nice. Now, Brian, you did mention the element of trust and experience earlier. And I wonder, how can we include the element of fun when we know we deal with so many different personalities and moods? Any advice? Oh, definitely on this one. So um, let's let's talk about energizers for just a second. Now, now here's one of the the downsides of online meetings is that... uh, People don't want to be on online meetings as much as they would if they were in the room. Um, This is true of training as well. I don't know if you've seen this from some of your clients, the people that you work with, uh, but I I get this where it's like, well, if we were in person, uh, this would be an eight-hour in-person training, but nobody wants to be on uh, camera for eight hours. So let's do it in two hours. Can you do that? Um, And we end up trying to cram (laughs) eight pounds of stuff into a two-pound bag, and that never works. Um, So on the one hand, there's there's been a tendency, I think, in both meeting design and in training design to get rid of anything superfluous, is to make them as frictionless as possible, to cut right to the chase, uh, to really focus on the content or the meat of whatever it is that you want to uh, actually do and get rid of all of the superfluous stuff. Um, unfortunately, one of the things that has been cut are the idea of energizers, those trust-building connection modalities where participants and learners actually get to know each other um, and can create interpersonal relationships. So how do you find a good energizer that doesn't add friction and accomplishes your purpose? Okay. I, I think, let me give you three criteria for what I think is a good energizer in the online space. Um, first of all, it's going to create some sort of uh, connection. So this would be trust building. This would be a little bit of, not, not too much. I think a lot of trainers go too far with this, but a little bit of self-revelation. Okay, So something where you can uh, have individuals share uh, something personal. And again, not too personal, not something so private that you're, you're crossing a line, but something that's uh, um, uh, where, they, where you can start to understand people as human beings and not just as you know, uh, pictures on the screen. So that's the first one. The second criteria is that I think that a good energizer um, should provide an opportunity for people to test the technology, to test the meeting platform. So you could do something as just like say, hey, type something into chat. And when you do that, then you know that people can type something into chat. Or we're going to put you into breakouts and have a quick discussion. 
now you know that people can go in and out of breakouts. If you're using some sort of collaborative platform, like for example, Mural, uh, which is a collaborative whiteboard, Miro, another collaborative whiteboard, Mentimeter, which is one for online polling, um, you can ask them a safe icebreaker, energizer kind of question. The purpose of it is, again, to make sure that they can actually use the technology before you ask them something that's critical, something uh, where you're actually testing their learning. And then finally, the third criteria, if you're really good, you can use it to do what's called effective priming. Um, This is also known as psychological priming. And what this does is that this actually ties back into that experience, the atmosphere. So in some way, what this does is that this gets people into the mental uh, mindset of whatever it is they have to do going forward for the rest of the meeting or the learning. All right, so let me give you an experience of something like this. Let's say that um, I was doing, I'm, I'm making this up on the fly. Let's say that I was doing a, um, uh, uh, let's say that I was doing a visioning workshop for a senior leadership team. Um, I think a good energizer would be, hey, take a look around your space, wherever you happen to be, and pick up a physical object that you can hold. Um, don't overthink it, just pick up a physical object. And then I want you to take just a minute. And think about how that physical object might, for you, represent a successful vision for your organization. Um, now, you can't see this. I just happened to pick up a stuffed penguin from my, uh, my desk. So it's something <laughs> that I have with me at all times. It's a stuffed penguin. Um, but I picked this thing up. And you know, maybe I, I could say something like, well, you know, uh, the thing is about a penguin is that it really has two choices. That first penguin, when he dives off the ice flow... Either he's going to get the fish or the seal is going to get him. So we need to be like that first penguin. We need to, we need to exercise bravery. Okay. Ooh. Uh, yeah. You like that? All right. So yeah. let's, let's see how that works with my, my three criteria. Okay. Did it provide some sort of personal connection? Yes. You've got somebody sharing what's going on for them. Um, they're filling up that, that inanimate object with whatever, uh, you know, whatever they're thinking about. Secondly, it's testing the technology. So I know that people can use webcams. They're, they're holding that, that object up to the webcam. And then thirdly, and most important, this is where that effective priming comes in. Now I have people thinking about the successful implementation of a vision. Um, we use that energizer as a microcosm uh, for what we're going to do for the rest of our time together. So to summarize, I think a good energizer does three things. First, it connects people together, lets you know what they're thinking, gets you into their mindset. Second, it tests the technology, people's facility with it, whether or not they can go off on and off mute, use the, the webcams and so forth. And then third, finally, most importantly, it psychologically primes them for success for the rest of the time that we have together. I love it. Well, I think we could probably like pick your brain for like so many strategies, but unfortunately it is the time for us to get to the rapid fire questions. Super. I'm ready. Yeah. I do want to encourage though. I want to encourage our listeners because there is so much more in this. I know there is. We, we, you can further pick, pick Brian's brain, Brian's brain, <laughs> lizard brain. No, I'm kidding. By surviving the horror of online meetings, uh, reading the book. Okay. Are you ready for ready. some rapid fire questions? Lay it on me. Super ready. Yay. Okay. Give us one book that everyone must read and why. Okay, this was really, really hard for me. Let me just say this, but I'm going to have to go with Reinventing Organizations by Frederick Leloux because mm. ultimately, if, uh, if we're not about creating a better fit between the people and the work that they do, what really is the point of training and development? 
Absolutely. I love it. Okay, so what is a tool you cannot live without? Okay, I went with something really easy on this one, and I have to say my PlexiCam. Um, and what that is, is oh. it, it's a clear acrylic hook that hangs on the front of my screen, and it actually holds my lap, my my webcam. Um, it's sort of, you could think of it as a poor man's teleprompter, but it really helps with maintaining eye contact. I can put my webcam right on top of the faces of the people that I'm working with. I love that. And I've seen those. And I was wondering about them. So you definitely recommend those. Yeah. PlexiCam. Awesome. Yeah, that's, Plexi that's the one to get. Mm -hmm. Cool. Okay. All right. What is the best piece of advice you have ever been given? <laughs> this is easy. A good trainer brings answers to the participants. A great trainer brings participants to the answer. Ooh, I love that. And it sounds like there's a story behind that one. There is. That was actually, uh, that was shared with, uh, uh, to me by my mentor. So somebody, I, I would not be where I am today without, uh, without her. That is a fantastic piece of advice. I've actually just jotted that down to remind myself of that from time to time. So, wow, that's really a kind of a powerful way to wrap up. Although I got to say, Brian, you have basically spent the last 30 minutes with us taking away our excuses for having horrible meetings. And on behalf of all of us, I have got to thank you for that. I feel like listening to this episode is going to have you walking away with so many ideas to make your next meeting much better than perhaps you thought possible. So thank you so much for spending time with us. Oh, thank you. This was a lot of fun. I really appreciate yeah. it. Well, we're really grateful. And of course, a big thank you to my co-hosts as well. We learned so much today. Thank you so much. Yes. And I'm definitely going to go read the book now. And many thanks to all of you in our community for listening. Before you go, we have a message from our producer, Helena Hodges. Are you interested in learning more about the Metro DC chapter of ATD or following us on social media? Go to dcatd.org and click on About. Love this episode? Make sure to subscribe to the podcast and provide a review. 